people of the internet, welcome back to another Game Luster podcast. My name is Haley, and I am social media manager. And today I am joined by Brennan. Hello. And Mike. What's up? They are both writers. If you didn't already know that, and today we are talking about games that really 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 suck and by suck i mean super duper flopped either with sales or they just flopped with hype when they came out but that people actually think are pretty good so i guess low-key cult favorites or just hidden gems that you don't know about that you're about to know about so maybe you should go pick it up but if it really sucks then don't pick it up don't waste your money but uh, but before we get into that, we are going to start with a currently playing. So, Brennan, start us off. Playing anything lately? Um, yeah, actually. I um, picked up back where I left off at uh, Dark Souls Remastered. I finally... I'd just gotten about halfway through the game and put it down to play other stuff, but I recently picked it back up. And I played it all the way through, did the DLC, it was a great time. And then I figured, I've never played Dark Souls 3 before, so I got that, figured I'd try it, figured I'd like it, and for some reason, it's just, it's it's not really, it's not scratching that itch. And I know that it's the same game, not the same game, but it takes, you know, it's in the same uh, world, but... I don't know, the only thing that I felt while playing Dark Souls 3 was, man, I just want to play Dark Souls 1 again. And it was a really weird feeling. There's a lot of, I guess, internal systems that I'm either not familiar with, only because I just started. Um, But I guess part of the charm with Dark Souls, at least the first one with me, was that, and I, I guess this kind of defeats the purpose, but I knew everything that was going to happen. I knew all the shortcuts. I know where all the NPCs are. I know what all the quest lines are going to do. And it's because of that that the replayability of it is so high because there's so many different options that you can do. You know, do I kill Solaire the first time I see him or do I wait until Lost Isolith where I try to save him and we take down, I don't know, Gwyn together? It, it's and along with that, the character builds are vastly different. You can you know, com- combine dexterity and intelligence and become a Jedi wielding katana man, hollow guy wearing a dress, and it's great. And you kill things, but in three, I don't know. It's just there's a lot of I guess most of. The things that I don't like, I suppose, are just because I, I'm not really aware of them. One thing, and one really minor difference, is that in at least the first Souls game, weight load was tied to your endurance. And weight load, for those who don't know, in Dark Souls is kind of important because under 70% of your weight load, you get a specific roll, and under 25%, you get an even faster roll. And... If you're someone that doesn't like using shields like me, having a really fast roll and timing those invincibility frames you get with said roll is really important and core to the gameplay. And for me, in Dark Souls 3 at least, you have to put points into a specific stat to raise your weight load. So instead of putting points into endurance, which not only grants you increased weight load and stamina, 
you're just picking one. And that's a really minor but really big annoyance that I have because it will completely change the way that I play. And again, maybe there's some secret or some item that changes that similar to Havel's Ring in the first one. But I can't say that I care enough to get that far. And it's a weird feeling because I'm a huge fan of the series. And not liking the latest edition is not really something that sits well with me. So, in the meantime, I've just been just been kicking back and waiting for uh, Monster Hunter World that comes out this Thursday. Very stoked. Um, yeah, other than that, it's not much. I've just been dying a lot. I die a little bit more every day. <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> but you get better every day too, don't you? You know, like things get easier. Right? I I'd like to think so, but <laughs> anyway, let's not talk about my terrible life choices. Um, I mean, I can. So, would you say that if Dark Souls Three was Dark Souls Dark Souls One, but in the Dark Souls 3 world, you'd be happy? Yeah, actually. Um, well, yes and no. I like some of the changes that they made. Um, another big part of Dark Souls 3 that I don't really like, um, something that I feel was taken heavily from Dark Souls 2, was that the game feels very linear. And while there are branching paths and shortcuts that you can find... Part of the reason why Dark Souls 1 felt so big, despite the game actually being pretty small, was that each of the areas were connected by shortcuts. Um, barred from any kind of loading screen, you know, if you wanted to go to the Undead Parish and run to Firelink Shrine, you could, without any, without any loading screens. And it was that moment of going down the elevator the first time and going, wow, I'm here? Like, that oh my god, it's not actually as far away as I thought it was. And it's that sense of discovery. It's that sense of how connected is this world. In Dark Souls 3, it just feels like this narrow, just run down this, kill the boss, go to the next area. And while that's not a horrible thing, it's not one of the reasons that I fell in love with Dark Souls from the beginning. So yes and no. <laughs> it's a weird answer, but having a new environment to explore, that's fun. But I just wish that it felt more cohesive, and I felt that the the sense of discovery wasn't as great. But again, that being said, I'm not very far into it, so maybe there's more to this puzzle than I'm leading on. Who knows? So basically, keep playing, die a whole bunch more, get frustrated, leave, come back, keep playing, die a whole bunch more, get frustrated, and leave, and... <laughs> Just rinse and repeat until you make it to the end of the game. Yes and no. <laughs> yes. Gosh darn it! Because <laughs> there's like there's a point, at least in Dark Souls, where at least I've and I can't tell you the specific instance that it happened, but I just remember the game just working. Like I didn't die as much. I didn't take as much damage. I was able to repost and parry and dodge at certain times. It felt like I was getting better and it just kind of clicked after a while so the frustrating bit kind of went away a lot of people they take the whole um dying thing over and over and over 
as some kind of uh, frustration. Whereas, at least in the... I'm not exactly 100% on the lore of Dark Souls, but in Bloodborne specifically, in the beginning of the game, you sign this contract that binds you to what is called the Hunter's Dream, which basically allows you to be immortal until you serve your purpose. You know, unless you break the contract and whatever, but that's... Other characters do that, but you specifically don't do that. So my philosophy is that I can't die. In this game world, although I, quote, die, my character in this game is still alive. And every time that he goes through an area, he learns more. I learn more. So being able to die a million times is actually a blessing. Imagine just dying and then having to go all the way back from the beginning. You know, is I don't know. It's more of... Dark Souls has impacted me in a lot more ways than I can possibly imagine. It's changed my philosophy on a lot of different aspects in life, which is part of the reason why I love it so much. But Dark Souls 3, it's not, uh, it's not doing it for me. That was deep. Very deep. Super deep. <laughs> <laughs> I feel blessed. Yeah, man, take it one day at a time. Just ima- like, imagine every day at the end, when you fall asleep... No, that doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, imagine you dying at the end of every day. Well, and then next day, that's, you, that's, you, that's a little much. Yeah, but like, you you know, you go through the next day, and you go through that. And then some days are repeats of the same thing over and over and over, but it gets a little easier. You get a little better. See, there's a lot of movies and books kind of like that. One I'm going to plug really quick. Um, is Lauren Oliver's Before I Fall. It's about a girl who dies and then repeats a day over and over and over and over again until she figure out why she died. And it gets really deep. You guys heard it here from Brennan, our motivational speaker. Podcast <laughs> is uh, officially, officially done. Joking! That's it? No, it's not it. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say mike hasn't gone yet oh yeah we're we're done guys we heard it here life <laughs> advice from brennan that's all we need to hear this podcast <laughs> is over we're uh we're done everyone out <laughs> anyway it was nice being here <laughs> <laughs> oh my god mike what are you currently playing i'm actually playing a mix of near automata and uh blaze blue cross tag battle um, mm. Nier was something, it came out last year, and for some reason, I never what? picked it up. No, you're like, not. I always told myself, okay, I gotta get near, I gotta get near, I gotta get near, and I never got it. And then, um, last month, I got it on a sale, and I'm playing it, and I'm like, why the hell did I take so long to get this game? This game is amazing! And, um... I'm also playing Blaze Blue. Um, the last nine characters in the season pass just came out, so I'm playing that, trying to learn these characters, trying to figure out you know which ones I really like, which ones I really want to learn fully, you know, and just um, kind of busy with that. So I'm kind of swapping back and forth between these two games. Mike, you always come up with games that I've never heard of. <laughs> what? I haven't heard of either of those. I've heard of Nier. I haven't heard of Blaze Blue. Haley, your life is not complete until you play Blaze Blue. 
I don't think my life is ever going to be complete. <laughs> Mike, I have two questions for you. Oh, gosh, yes. here we go. Um, first general question. Have you played Dragon Ball Z Fighters or Fighter Z? Yeah, yeah, I have that one. How similar... I, I know it's both Arc System, um, but how similar are they... Um... Control scheme-wise, they're kind of similar, but I feel characters, I don't know if other people feel this way out there, but I feel characters have a little more diversity in um, Blaze Blue. Okay, because um, that, was, that was my problem with Fighter Z. It felt like all of the characters had the same inputs, Yeah, and I was like, what's the difference between Beerus and Goku at this point, honestly? <laughs> yeah. Um, Obviously, there's a huge difference, but yeah. Yeah, I, I like both games, but I prefer cross-tag battle. No. Do you play with and the then, like the little oh. pad, like the the fighting? Yeah, stick? Yeah, the fight stick. No, I use just a regular regular controller. You're not a real <laughs> gamer. Get out of here, Mike. Leave. I'm I'm not I'm not pro status yet. So gosh uh. darn it! <laughs> You're supposed to win tournaments and make me money. Wait, make you money? Make me money. <laughs> Does it make us money? I mean, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Haley's gonna take a cut of all my wins. Uh, probably like 75%, but <laughs> you all know that. That's a lot. How's he gonna pay for a fight stick if you take 70% of whatever he makes? Because I'll buy it for him, and then he'll pay me back with like 200% interest. Wait, well, what? you will get better with said. Fu- Wait, yeah, hold on. <laughs> anyway, uh, Brendan, what's your next uh, question for Mike? Oh, just without spoilers, how far are you in near? Probably about fifteen hours. So, did you complete the first path yet? Like, are you still playing as two B? Yeah, still two B. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I never finished the. What is it? The third. Path ending C, whatever it was. I just did two B and nine S, and then I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This game is too much feels. <laughs> I know I'm playing it. And I'm like, oh crap, man, this is this is getting kind of deep here. Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> I Pretty think, game though. Like oh yeah, I the English. I can't speak. I've wanted to pick it up because of how much replayability there is, but I get bored with replaying games really quickly. Like, I haven't finished God of War because I was like, yeah, I finished the game, now I'm done. And I've gone back and done some stuff, but overall I'm just like, eh, I'm happy with where I've made it to. I can put this down now. Is there any incentive to replay God of War? Um, the I know the Valkyries, and then they have like two areas. Um, okay. That are kind of like worth doing, and I almost completed the one except for the Valkyrie, and then I haven't completed the other one yet because I just haven't gone there to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um. But beyond, like, the Valkyries and maybe collecting everything, I 
don't really see any replay value in it. Um, unless you're, like, super into the lore and want to know more and yeah. stuff like that, so. Uh, the thing about Nier, Brendan, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but you gotta beat it to get every ending, you gotta beat it again or something like that? Yeah, so yeah. when you, when you do the first playthrough, um, the second playthrough is basically... Is just seen through the eyes of 9S. And so basically what happens is that I think the beginning and because there's like parts of the story where 9S is like off doing other stuff. Yeah. And so those are the interesting parts. But otherwise, 9S and 2B are together most of the game. So you're basically playing the same stuff over. It's like a weird new game plus. But then apparently the third branch is all new stuff. And that was the part that I decided not to try, so I'm just an idiot. Um, but yeah, it does change, and there's a lot of differences. Like, 9S plays very different from 2B, so there is some incentive to keep playing. Yeah. Woo-woo! Keep playing it. Put all yeah, your life into it. Yeah, I'm too busy for a while. You know, something that keeps me busy is a new Dragon Age game. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> maybe more on that no. later in a different podcast. Um, currently, I am playing The Inner World. Um, I got a uh, code for it from, I believe, the developer. And I'll be writing a review on it eventually. Uh, my review is actually for the second game, but I'm trying to play the first game uh, super quick so I can get to the second game. And I'm not going to lie, I felt real dumb playing this game. Because <laughs> it's, it's a simple point-and-click adventure, but the controls had me so dumbfounded that I picked it up, and I was like, okay, I'll play this. And then kind of stared at my screen for like 45 minutes, and was like, I can't figure out what to do, and just put it back down. You can't give up, Haley. You can't give up. Well, I didn't give Wait, up! Inner... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's called... The game is... What, what exactly... I'm not even aware of this game. What is it about? Yeah, I've never heard of it. Oh, and now I'm talking about games that you guys don't know about. I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't... 100% know I I kind of briefly know what the game's about because of how far I got but um, I could be wrong so you might have to go do some research for yourself but it's about this kid who there's like this like city in what I believe would be kind of like the center of the earth and they all have these different noses and his has holes in it I think and, um, so, like, one day, this, like, pigeon comes and steals this guy's trinket, and he has to go after this pigeon to go get it, and then he meets this girl, and then, like, they go off on an adventure, and I don't know what happens, but I know that there's a lot of, um, kind of like underlying messages about like politics and kind of like the way our world is today and um 
underlying messages like about our society and how we treat each other and and kind of like things like that so uh, right now I'm still like in like the super early stages of the game because I had to like really sit down and be like okay well this is this is this button this is this button you have to do this because like again like I still have trouble with the controls at first I didn't get them so I just kind of put the game down and was just like I'll come back to this later, but I'm slowly getting the controls, and for a simple point-and-click adventure, you'd think, like, the controls would be super easy, and I just had the hardest time with them for some dumb reason. That sounds kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, it could also just be me, because I, I, it takes me a while to get things, like, I stumbled through God of War for, like, the first half of it, because I was just like, oh, I can't actually just go swinging my axe and killing things. I should do things strategically. Um, But yeah, it's really simple. From what I've heard, you could probably beat it in, like, two hours. So I'm hoping to get through the first one real quick so I can play the second one. But so far, I'm liking it. I don't completely know what it's about, but it's really pretty. I think the art style is phenomenal. The voice acting is great. Um, it's really cute. It's fun. So if you're looking for something kind of like quick to pick up that you don't really need to think about, I definitely recommend it. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm playing. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That. Low key means go buy it, JK. I'm not gonna force you to spend your money. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. Next, rolling right uh right into this. God, I'm so awkward. Freddie's <laughs> 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 just gonna laugh at me because I'm making a total butt of myself. Um, no, no, you're not. Right? Why would I ever think that? Thanks for the support, friend. Let's roll into our main topic for today, which is games that sucked at sales or just were super overhyped, but that everyone absolutely adores. Um, so before we roll into uh, personal selections, I'm going to toss out three, and I want to get some opinions. So, the first three are The Order 1886, Evolve, and Titanfall 2. So, pick one, pick all three, give me your thoughts. Yeah, um, The Order was one I think Sony hyped up way too much. I, I didn't like it. It was too short. And it just wasn't very... I just didn't feel it was very... I'll just be blunt. I don't think it was very good. Mike's like wow. laid it on fire. I never want to see this game ever again. <laughs> I'm a burn it at Tell the stake. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, I'm a burn it at the stake. Um, and the thing about it was like Sony was putting out all kinds of trailers. You know, they had all these ads. They made it like look really cool. They made it look really good. And then to me... It just wasn't, it just didn't live up to the hype that Sony was, you know, trying to establish. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember too many people, at least reviews, 
people liking it too much. I remember one of the criticisms was that it was too heavily focused on the cinematics. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was just... Oh, sorry. It it was more movie-like than it was video game-like. Yeah, and it's like, uh, there's a certain place and time for that, but I don't know. I just remember seeing it and thinking, like, wow, this... It reminded me similarly, at least from, like, the trailers and stuff that I'd seen, it kind of reminded me of a bit of Bloodborne, that Victorian gothic style, Mm -hmm. and that was kind of what I had imagined in my head, and then only to realize, no, it's just kind of like this weird shooter on rails, if I remember correctly. I don't even really know too much about it, I just remember that people didn't really like it. Um, I like 100% wanted to play it just because of the time period that it was set in. I was really hesitant because it had the shooter aspect to it, so I was like, am I actually going to like this because of that aspect? Because I'm not real big into shooters. But I wanted to play it because I was like, oh, this is going to be really cool. It's set in, like, Victorian London. I'm, like, fighting supernatural vampire, Not vampires. I think they were werewolves or something Yeah, it was werewolves. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, like, this is going to be super cool. And I watched gameplay of it, and I was like, okay, this looks okay. I wasn't blown away by it. There was nothing that, like, made me, like, jump for joy. I was like, I'm shooting werewolves, and that's it. Yeah. It it didn't go any deeper than that. So... I'm kind of, like, disappointed because I feel like if they would have had a more thorough story, and if it would have went beyond just, okay, go kill some werewolves, I feel like it would have done a lot better. Like, because you could have, you could have combined, like, the whole killing werewolves with, like, maybe, like, a little bit of something from Assassin's Creed, maybe a little something from, like, um, Uncharted or Tomb Raider, maybe something from, like, God of War, and brought different aspects of all of those games into this one to make it really good. Yeah, and I was excited because, like you said, the setting looked so cool, especially in, um, you know, what Sony showed. It looked like it was going to be this really cool Victorian Age setting, and it just kind of, the setting just couldn't save it. Unfortunately not. But supposedly it sold roughly 2 million copies. Um, yeah. I could be wrong, but that's what I looked up, and that's what that's what I was told on some websites, so we'll roll with it. Could be a little more, could be a little less. But I mean, I think that's... I think that's a decent number. I don't think that's amazing by any sort of standards, but... I wouldn't call it a 100% flop based on those sales, but when you look at it review-wise, it definitely it definitely couldn't hold against some of the better games that probably came out that year. Okay, so the other two games I listed are Titanfall 2 and Evolve. Anybody got anything on those two? Um, I didn't play Evolve, but I played Titanfall 2. That one, I don't, I'm not really big on shooters, but that one I thought was great. I love the whole, you know, 
piloting this giant ass mech and just messing people up with it. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Did you play Titanfall 1? Yeah. So, comparing the two, which one would you say is better? Um, Probably two. I, I like the Titans they introduced in two more than what was available in one. Um, and it just felt better play-wise. I don't remember Titanfall 1 having too many different kinds of Titans. Yeah. I only remember like three or four off the top of my head, and then yeah. two had like a lot more. Yeah, I think there was only three in one, and I can't remember how many in two, but two did increase the number of Titans a bit, quite a bit. And it gave you a lot more different, you know, choices on the battlefield. Yeah, I actually, I, I've only played the first, I got two during like a Battlefield 1 Titanfall 2 sale, and I tried it, and I thought it was okay, but for whatever reason, I remember really liking the first one, and it just felt like, I'm not really a big fan of Call of Duty arcade kind of shooters, and that's roughly what I would describe Titanfall as, it was very fast-paced, very little recoil, just kind of dying and respawning all the time. Very reminiscent of Call of Duty, but the thing that I really liked was the whole Titan aspect. That changed everything about what I didn't like about Call of Duty. It just added that extra layer of depth, and I really, really liked the first one, and I don't remember too many people liking the first one at all, and I felt like a black sheep playing it at the time. Um, yeah, I don't know, but two... I wanted to get into it, but just never did. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like Call of Duty. Um, I never really liked those games, but Titanfall, just because of the Titans, really set itself apart from everything that was out at that time. Yeah. I, two has the two has the one with the like the ninja sword samurai guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to play that so bad just <laughs> for that one Titan. <laughs> I just never did. Yeah, so, I mean, I was surprised that it didn't do too well, considering um, I knew a lot of people who really, really liked that game. So, the fact that it didn't do well actually did surprise me. So, through my super sleuthing research that all journalists should do, <laughs> we don't have fake news here. No fake news. Um... Titanfall 2 supposedly sold 4 million copies. Now, again, I don't know who truthful that is because numbers change. Um, but I definitely have to say that's that's better than the previous game we talked about. But from my standpoint, I'd say that 2 flopped because of how bad 1 was. And I feel like like, I don't mean, like, I didn't play it, so I don't actually know how good it is. But from what everyone said, a lot of people don't like Titanfall 1, so I feel like they didn't give Titanfall 2 a shot because they were like, well, 1 was bad, why would I play 2? Why would I waste a whole another $60 on it? But I feel like if 2 was 1, and they would have did everything in 2 that they would have did in 1... I feel like they would have, their sales would have been through the roof. 
Because when you come out with a game that's like, okay, you can have all these titans, why give them a select few titans? Why not go balls to the wall and be like, well, here's all the titans you could do, or at least maybe um, give them options to the point that you can customize your own titan so that you can make like a ninja one or a samurai one or I don't know, maybe I want to make Optimus Prime or some dumb shit like that. Um, <laughs> like, That'd be so cool. Give them the option to build those ones and then kind of have you know, maybe 10 pre-built ones. Yeah. Like, I feel like if they would have did something like that and came out with a little bit more, then a lot more people would still be playing the game. Titanfall would be great. Hey, maybe it'd be like Super MLG having their own tournaments and stuff. I don't know if they actually have tournaments for Titanfall 2, but uh, that's some research we can do later. But... Um. Yeah, I think if it had the... I don't know if you guys ever played the Armored Core series. Mm, no. Yeah, th- this is an old series. It shows how old I am. Um, But it <laughs> it was kind of like Titanfall where you piloted like, these giant mechs. And the cool thing, from what I remember from the older ones, back on like the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2, you're able to customize your mech. And I feel if they really did that in Titanfall, it would work really well and it would have been a lot better because like Haley said, you know, make this own build and it's your build. It's, you know, you're the one that made it and it's special to you. Yeah, definitely. Some kind of personalization and making each Titan personal to you would have been vastly better than whatever they had. Another thing was um, the first one didn't have a single player campaign, which I feel like turned a lot of people off. That was... I forget when Titanfall 1 came out, but I yeah. think that was around the point where people were like, wait, what? Online-only games? Is that a thing? And so a lot of people were turned off initially by that, and then when they came out with Titanfall 2, they were like, hey, we have a single-player campaign this time. And everyone at that point yeah. who had passed on the first one, they were like, yeah, I'm still going to pass on this one, sorry. Yeah, that was my problem with the first one, was the campaign was multiplayer. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was that was weird. I didn't like that at all. It was ahead of its time. <laughs> but like I still I still believe that games should have a single player aspect to them because not everyone likes playing online. And like I understand it's great to play with your friends and I know for example like a lot of people buy Call of Duty to play it um online and with their friends or with their team or whatever like that single player still, ha- like, it adds something to it. Because, like, I have watched every campaign that there is since, I want to say, Black Ops. And I've watched them because they they have some famous actor or the story mm-hmm. seems pretty interesting. Like, you know, I want to see them fighting in space. Yay. Like, I'm going to watch it. And I understand, like, watching it isn't adding to their sales, but it makes it interesting. I've always found the first-person stories in Call of Duty interesting. But isn't their, like, latest one multiplayer only? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, I'm quite curious to know how well that's going to do and how well that's going to go over. Because clearly we've already seen Titanfall 
try to do this, and I understand Titanfall is nowhere near being what Call of Duty is, but I'm just, I'm really curious to to see how such a big game fares being multiplayer only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's just the argument that some people can't play games online. Like, you have to think about, I don't know, my biggest example is always soldiers off in you know, different parts of the world stationed in places and they while that's not a huge part of their their people that are playing their games but you still have to account for other people that want to but then can't like if you have an online only game and someone's stationed in Afghanistan he's never going to buy your game i'm sorry like it sucks but you're missing out on people that would buy your game had it have had it had uh, a single-player aspect. I guess another good example would be, like, people in rural communities or people who can't necessarily afford to be online all the time. Because not not everyone can maybe afford to have, like, maybe a high internet bill or be on their internet for long periods of time. Or maybe they don't even have internet at all. Or their internet is limited. So why are you leaving those people out? Like, clearly they still want to be able to play. And they still want to experience the game. But at the same exact time, I feel like Call of Duty is capitalizing on their market. Who plays a lot of their games? A lot of MLG fanboys. Pro teams play their games. They buy it because the multiplayer like tournaments are literally just built around that multiplayer mode so i feel like they're trying to come out and just capitalize on that market and be like well a lot of people don't play our single player a lot of people are in our online community let's just make a game for solely our online community and then you add in loot boxes, microtransactions, the things that people are going to repeatedly buy because of said multiplayer, and obviously that's going to tend to them leaning more towards a more multiplayer-focused arena or mode or whatever you want to call it, because that's where the money is now, yeah. sadly. And, I mean, it it sucks, because there's going to be people that are left behind but that's just what the way that's just the way it is and i mean yeah if you wanted you could definitely talk with your wallet like you don't have to buy the game but in this instance you talking i don't think you talking with your wallet's gonna really matter no probably not (laughs) i mean you go go out and count how many pro teams there are you need one game for basically one game for every person on that team. And you have to think that they might have multiple copies of that game on God knows what system. Knowing them, they probably have it for everything. Yeah, every, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, you, you, you not buying one copy isn't going to make a difference over, say, a pro team buying six or some kid and his friends going out buying it day one 
and buying a copy for their PlayStation and their Xbox. And then you figure Christmas time comes around, they're going to be hotcakes. So, yeah. Yeah, you talking with your wallet doesn't really matter here. Okay. So, now that we talked about uh, the couple that I just wanted to toss out there, let's start with Brennan. Brennan, what's your specific game that flopped, but that a lot of people, or maybe just you, actually like? Okay, so this is probably going to be very personal, because I've never actually like looked up how well this game was received, and everyone that I've ever talked to has pretty much never heard of the game. Um, the game is called Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, specifically, and it was released on the 360, PlayStation 3, in February of 2012, and it was... Um, I want to do it justice, but it's been a long time since I've played it. It was a 3D action RPG that was built around storytelling, world building. There were multiple different races. There was uh, a plot line where you're the chosen one and you have to fix all of the world's problems. But within the game system, there were there was actually a lot of customization. I remember there was your standard thief warrior and mage but there were skill trees that blended either two of them or all of them which was called the jack of all trades which had made you had gave you access to a lot of the different powers but again you kind of had to scale it accordingly um and i love that game there was there was a lot of it that i really enjoyed i really liked being a, a thief that was able to vanish and teleport different places behind people and cast amazing spells and the cool part was that you could just respect and just change all over on the flip of a hat. Um, is that what people say? Flip of a hat? I don't think so. Um, that being said, though, the game didn't really sell that well. Um, according to various sources uh, that I can't seem to find right now, um, about a month after the game was launched, it only had 300,000 copies. And about three months later, the one of the developers tweeted that it only sold 1.2 million at the 90-day mark. But the thing that was most interesting to me was that um, in 2012, in May, which was about, uh, I don't know, was that a couple months after the game had come out? The Rhode Island governor, Lincoln Chaffee, had claimed that the game was a failure for ha not having met its required, quote, 3 million sales required to break even. The game had only sold 1.2 million copies as of a couple months prior, and I don't think it had sold any much more than that. So he basically came out, and this Rhode Island governor came out and said, yeah, this game flopped just because it hadn't broken even. And while that's, I think that's a pretty decent indication of whether or not a game is flopped. I mean, obviously, the whole point of making a product is to, you know, create a profit. Uh, I still really enjoyed the game. I never completed it. <laughs> that being said, I still enjoyed my time with it. And every now and then I would go back. And I remember being excited playing demo and going out and buying the game. And I never really had any serious gripes with it. It's not like it was the best game ever, but it certainly wasn't the worst. Um, 
And so that kind of shocked me, especially to have the, a governor come out and say, yeah, it just, it sucked. Um, that was the game, personally, that I had played that didn't really sell well, but after doing some research, um, the popular game, well, maybe not so popular game, Demon Souls, hadn't really sold too well when it came out. Um, it originally released in 2009 for the PlayStation 3, and had only sold 40,000 copies in its first week in Japan. And when it debuted in North America, it sold over 500,000 copies about a year later it's after its release. And as of 2015, the game had only sold 1.7 copies. So the game hadn't really sold too much, and it had become a cult classic. And so what From Software did was they capitalized on that somehow and created Dark Souls, which that seems to be the only game that I talk about recently, um, and for a good purpose. I'm not exactly sure how well... Actually, no, the game had sold 1.2 million copies after being released for only about a year. So right off the bat, it did way better than Demon Souls ever wanted to in the six years that Demon Souls had been um, at least targeted. You know, that time frame between 2009 and 2015, only selling 1.2 million copies. But that even in 2013, the game had sold 2.3 million copies worldwide. So while Demon Souls wasn't exactly a success and arguably quite a flop, it became such a cult classic that it was able to revive itself within its multiple sequels over time. And while that's not exactly what we were talking about, it doesn't seem that, in rare cases, a game can flop, but then, hopefully, sequels will capitalize on that and do better. And while I haven't played Demon Souls personally, uh, I very much appreciate the roots in which Dark Souls and Bloodborne, and I guess Dark Souls 3, have taken from, <laughs> and... And the references and stuff, and again, while I've never played it, I still feel like I know a lot more about that game, having played the other ones. Having direct references, or indirect references, whatever. Um, but, yeah, there, there are examples where, you know, just because a game flops, just because you die in Dark Souls, doesn't necessarily mean you can't get back up and beat that boss. Deep and inspirational. <laughs> I love this game, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's a shameless plug for absolutely no reason that doesn't benefit any of us in any way. Uh, Dark <laughs> Souls is probably one of my favorite games to watch um, during a speedrun, and Bubbles Del Fuego will speedrun it sometimes at Games Done Quick, and his commentary is great, and his facial lack of facial expressions um are great and also um there's another guy who has like super long hair and a beard and his name is something about zeus and toast or something or bread or something like that he's great too um so go find those on youtube and look them up if you're interested but yeah okay okay you guys can talk sorry 
I'm out of stuff. That was, <laughs> that was that was it for me. Oh, Mike, it's on you. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, the game for me. I'm gonna go really old school here. Um. Older than any of us. Yeah, I'm. I'm an old man. Um. Was Jet Set Radio? I don't know if you guys remember that one. I've heard of it. I never played it. Probably like before my time. It's Probably like 18 not. Years old, so. Well, I'm older than that, but still. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah, you know, it, I played it, and it was a great, great game. It was really fun. It was one of the first games to do the whole cell shaded thing that a lot of Ooh. games ended up picking up later on. I mean, the critics loved it. You know, it got a lot of really good reviews, and yet for some reason, it completely flopped. Like, a few months after it released, people were finding it in bargain bins because, like, nobody bought it, you know? It was like this game that everybody was like, oh yeah, you know, it's really good, you gotta play it, and nobody bought it. I, that, that boggles me. That boggles me. It boggles my mind. I don't understand how that happens. Like, yeah. I guess, it's, it's, is it the marketing that... that ultimately flops or is it that the game just doesn't appeal to a lot of people you know and you just have like a really niche group that love the game you know i i when when games quote flop i'm never really sure of why and how especially if they get really glowing reviews yeah just i don't understand that i guess oh i was say this game got really good reviews and yet you know i don't understand how it didn't do well. I want to say that, like, it could be a combination of marketing, but also just a lack of marketing. So, on, like, one end, you just have the game is, like, super over-marketed, that everyone has these crazy, mind-boggling views of what the game's actually supposed to be, and it comes out, and it's not like that. Hint, hint, No Man's Sky. Um, or... <laughs> kind of like how no one knew what the inner world was it's just not marketed enough and one of the factors could be is that it came from a small company maybe um whatever platform first picked it up if it was an exclusive just didn't think that it was going to do that well so maybe they didn't want to invest a lot of marketing in it because like marketing and you know, today's time is outrageous. Look at how much promoters and, like, companies spend for Super Bowl ads. Yeah. And that and that's literally just for a 30-second spot. So, uh, marketing, you know, around the world and or just in the U.S. could get super expensive. So, I feel like, you know, marketing it too much or marketing too few can definitely hurt a game and cause it to flop, even if it does have good reviews, because maybe maybe people aren't reading who reviewed it. Yeah, I'm and, also reading here, it was on the Dreamcast, which itself was a flop. So that could have been a, a good reason, but they did make do like a, um, a re-release, and that didn't do that well either, and that was on the PS3, I believe. Hmm. Ah, so I guess that just, at least for this specific instance, maybe it's just that 
the game itself only appeals to, like I said, that that niche kind of yeah. audience where not too many people like whatever the game is trying to throw at them. Yeah. And it's disappointing, too, because it was, you know, around that time when Tony Hawk was really popular, and it was like Tony Hawk, except, you know, with this cool, saw-shaded look, and, you know, they used graffiti within the game, like, with this amazing artwork, and it just, whatever reason, people didn't pick it up. Do you guys know, like, old-school Nickelodeon cartoons? Yeah. What was the one that, like, it was like a group of kids, and they would, like, skateboard and roller skate and oh, surf? Oh, um, Rocket Power. Oh, um, Rocket Power, yeah. Okay, so I had a Rocket Power game, and I don't know if it flopped or not, but I'm just bringing this up because Mike said stuff about Tony Hawk. I had that game. But literally, oh. I would just, like skate around and like do tricks in like the one little like skate area and I literally never like truly played the game. I would just pop it in my PlayStation to skate around and I wouldn't do any of the missions or activities or anything. Yeah. That game was phenomenal. Yeah. I forgot that I owned that. Yeah, I had that oh too goodness. and it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of their names either. Uh I know one of them was Otto. I don't remember which one. Was one of them Reggie? I feel like one of them was Reggie. Yeah, that was the girl. Yeah, Squid. Was that one of their nicknames? Oh, Otto was the the main guy. And then the little short blonde haired guy was... His name was like... I think his nickname was Squid or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a throwback. Yeah, that's that's how I played a lot of games back then. I'd just pop them in, kind of like wheel around, and not actually play the game or do any ma- quests or missions or anything. And then I'd get sick of it, and then I'd pop it out and go do other things, and then come back and do the same thing. And I don't know what I was doing when I was younger, but I clearly didn't know how to play video games. <laughs> I did that with, I think, uh, I forgot which Spyro, I think it was Spyro 2, where they had like the little skateboarding segments. And instead of doing the story, I kept just playing those segments over and over and over again. May I do a shameless plug, please? <laughs> I mean... Do it, man. That's that's this whole podcast. <laughs> right. How could I possibly forget? Speaking of skateboarding games, um, I watched... If you guys don't know who Nakey Jakey is on YouTube, I'm telling you right now, go watch every video on his channel. He's phenomenal. He's one of my favorite YouTubers. He's very up and coming. Um, but he did this video, all credit to him, he did this video on the game Thrasher. Thrasher presents Skate and Destroy. And it came out in 1999 for the PlayStation. And if you guys have played Skate, um, Thrasher was basically Skate, but in 1999. And while it wasn't very popular because it had been times very poorly with the release of the many Tony Hawk games, which were notably very arcadey and uh, very unrealistic that I would come to learn after time, because you can't just ollie on command in real life, or, you know, do any amount of tricks, which led to a lot of bruises and bleeding, but that's besides the point. Um, 
Thrasher was one of the original games to have realistic kind of skating. But, again, no one's heard of that game, and I don't think it sold really well. I tried to look up really quick the numbers, and I couldn't even find how well the game sold. So I can't imagine that it sold well at all. But Nakey Jakey does a great video kind of explaining better than I can why the game flopped and just on this whole skateboarding thing uh, and Tony Hawk. Yeah, I Thrasher was always one of those games that I wanted to play but never did. I heard of Thrasher, but like you said, it was at the time of Tony Hawk, so it was like, do I get this game I never heard of or do I get this game that, you know, I've heard people say is really, really fun? Yeah, do I get a game that's titled after a magazine, or do I get a game <laughs> titled after the guy who just pulled a 900? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the 900, which is really cool if no one's ever seen that. Oh my goodness, he does, he, he's done it a couple times. It blows my mind every time. Yeah, that was another reason I want the Tony Hawk game, because I saw him do it, it was on, um, like, I forgot which, was it ESPN or something like that? And he did that, and I was I like, remember. holy shit, that is awesome. I have to get this game to do that. Yeah, right? That was, like, one of the only reasons I wanted to play that game, was just so I could pull a 900. Yeah. And when I did it, I was like, oh, thank God I can turn this off. <laughs> no more VHS tapes for me. <laughs> wow. Let's just, let's call this one the uh, retro podcast, and just talk about everything old school. Well, not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh mike do you have any more games you want to mention uh no okay so i am going to do one honorable mention because we were talking about this earlier before we started the um podcast and we'll keep this one really short but it's not a game but it's a console and it's the PS Vita. And I had I had a PSP back when they, like, originally came out. I had the old school PSP, like, the first one. Um, I love that thing. I actually still have it. If anybody wants to buy it, hit <laughs> me up. I don't have a charging cord for it or I'd be playing it myself. Um, but the PSP turned into the PS Vita. And I know that Mike has one that he totally needs to let me borrow so let's quickly get his opinion on why he likes the vita but also why he thinks it didn't do so well um yeah i it had great games i would play the um the neptunia series on there persona 4 golden was on there danganronpa was on there like it had a lot of great games it had great features i love the touch screen um the dual analog sticks which, I mean, now the Switch has that. But back then, um, no handheld had dual analog sticks. The only problem I had with the Vita was the memory cards were like a special format. And only Sony sold them. And they were super expensive. But um, I, we we're talking about advertising. And I think that's the reason the Vita failed. Was In America, they really didn't advertise it too much. In Japan, you know, they that thing was popular, but in America, I was the only person I knew that actually had a PlayStation Vita. The only marketing I remember for it was them marketing that you could do the remote play, 
with your PlayStation. Um, yeah. And that, I don't think that was until the PS4 came out. Um, I don't know if you could do remote play with the PS3 or not, but I know I remember seeing it for the PS4. But that that marketing didn't last very long. I mean, I'm still surprised that PS Vitas are still anywhere close to the $200 range. Um, because I'm definitely interested in purchasing one for visual novels, but I think $200 is a little bit outrageous, but I know that, you know, they're not really making them anymore, so they're going to be up there a little bit in price. When did that release? Oh, man, that released years ago. I don't remember. Um, Huh. That's weird. But it's still two hundred dollars. Yeah, at least like on Amazon, it's two hundred dollars. Um, because I was like, oh, you know, like maybe if it's like around like a hundred bucks, I'll buy it. And like, even though it's two hundred dollars, I can still afford it. I'm just like, do I want to fork out that much for something that's not even being made anymore, and that I might be able to get? cheaper like a lot cheaper used yeah it came out 2012 oh jeez i'm surprised they're still um like supporting that to be honest not in america anymore oh okay well i guess that makes sense i mean japan usually is more of a handheld centric yeah culture so that makes sense i think the switch really put the nail in the coffin for the vita though Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, declining sales over the years, and then not many uh, AAA titles being made for in the States. I mean, I feel like that all combined, and then, you know, Nintendo kind of basically owning the handheld market, not counting, like, mobile phones. I feel like that also didn't help, too. And then you add the later release of the Switch, and Sony's basically like, yeah, we basically already said no to bringing it back, and now we're definitely saying (laughs) no to anything with it. And it also had to compete with the 3DS, and kids want to play Pokemon, so of course they're going to get a 3DS. Gosh darn little kids. Look what you (laughs) did to my Vita! Get off my lawn! I played Pokemon on the 3DS, man. Come on. Get out. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> Bye. No, we didn't. Get out, both of you. Podcast over. No more. We're done. <sighs> I thought we already finished. Traitors. <laughs> Isn't this just us having fun? Oh, <laughs> okay, so before we end this, let's Hit it off with the last couple random games that have supposedly flopped. So, let's see. Metal Gear Survive. Um, we mentioned No Man's Sky earlier. The Impatient, which came from the creators of um, Until Dawn. Mass Effect Andromeda, which I'm pretty sure... Has been mentioned quite a few times before in podcasts. Uh, Time Carnage? I've never even heard of that one. 
Neither of us. Um, tennis World Tour. Well, the only good tennis is uh, on on TV, and supposedly a game called Past Cure, which from the screenshot looks very interesting, but supposedly is crap. Uh, so, are there any off the top of your head that you guys would like to just mention really quick, or any that I said that you'd like to just talk about briefly? This might be kind of a hot take, but I absolutely despise the new No Man's Sky update, and I think the whole game is terrible, and I don't think anyone should spend their money on it. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. It just doesn't seem interesting to me. Like, no matter what anyone says, you cannot get me to buy that game. Um, yeah, I think we're all in agreement. I just, you know, they keep saying, No Man's Sky Next is what No Man's Sky should have been when it came out. Yeah, well, that was two years ago. Imagine if it was what it was when it came out and now where we would be now so i can't i can't get over that do i respect hell uh was it hello games for not just taking their money and running like what they did with andromeda you know they apparently i never finished the game because it wasn't in my opinion as good as the other three but um there was so many loose ends apparently at the end of the game that were supposedly going to be you know, plogged with H, uh, no, uh, DLC, which again is not one of my favorite reoccurring themes here, but they just kind of stopped production on Andromeda and just took their money and ran. But I can respect Hello Games for updating and trying to make it what it was supposed to be, but I still feel like it ultimately flopped and that, if anything, this was just a really good teaching moment of don't lie in your interviews about yeah. features that aren't there, <laughs> and then you implement them two years later and make a big deal out of it. Yeah, when it takes two years for updates to make a game good, there's something wrong there. Yeah, you know, and I feel like maybe th- this could be a topic for another time, but games that, you know, can they can either be extremely hurt or extremely helped because of said patches. And there was, like... I was watching some Jim Sterling video where he talks about the concept of the mega patch, and I don't know, I just, there's there's a lot of instances where it worked, you know, look at Diablo 3, that game was really bad when it came out because of the whole auction house, and then they came out with that expansion, and it's it's pretty strong now, people still play that, Um, maybe not as much as any other Blizzard games, but, and then you look at No Man's Sky, and it's like, why? Why couldn't you just be good (laughs) again this is all my opinion i mean you know whatever i guess my thing (sighs) with no man's sky is you shouldn't need to have multiple patches to make the game good like yeah your whole game should be there when you download it and if there's small bugs that they missed or something like that sure fix it but i don't I don't want to get, like, say, like, three spaceships and then them be like, oh, well, guess what? Now we have ten more that we're going to include in this patch. It's like, why didn't you put them in there in the first place? I'd rather 
a company take their time, build something good, build something whole, and release it, rather than them be like, okay, well, here's the pre-production plan of our game that you can buy for $60, and then while we go along, we'll slowly roll out updates, so then you get the full game in four years. Well, like, that's the whole concept of early access, you know? But, again, you have to be very clear up front. You know, whenever you get to see a game on Steam, it comes out and says, this game is in early access. It will change. Like, you know what you're... You, effectively, you kind of get an idea of what you're throwing your money at. But at least to me, when No Man's Sky was released, they were like, yeah, there's multiplayer, There's this is a full game. And then it was because of the backlash that they were like, okay, maybe we should actually change it. I'm sorry, but that... That backlash shouldn't have made you change it, or you should have at least said, we're not done with it. We we want to be done with it, but we're just not. And they didn't do that. Sean Murray straight up lied in every interview <laughs> before the game came out and said there was multiplayer, and there wasn't. And, like, that's the thing, <sighs> like, if you say that something's in the game, it should be in the game. Unless, exactly. unless you're like, okay, well... It just didn't work. We can't do it. Not, we don't have time, so we're going to bring it out later. Well, why didn't you find time before? Why not take the time before the game releases and do it? I'm fine with waiting two, three, four months. Hell, take a year if you need to. Put it in the game. Don't be like, okay, we'll roll it out, you know, five patches from now. It's like, no. No, maybe I didn't buy the game for that. Maybe I wanted multiplayer straight off the bat. It was exactly. one of those games that should have been early access, or at least delayed. Absolutely. I think it, at the very least, it should have been, this game is early access, we will change it. But at least when the game released, Sean Murray went and the whole team, they went completely silent. Obviously that was because of like death threats and harassment that people... Probably should not have done. Uh, definitely should not have done. Um, but there was no roadmap, you know? Like, the guy went completely radio silent for months. And so there was no... People that bought it were like, are we ever going to get this feature that we were all promised? And it, that was the other kick in the head. It was like, they're not even communicating with us. It took them a while, too, and eventually they did. But like Haley said, you have to be upfront with that, and you have to say, okay, well, maybe it'll come out in like two, three months. We'll have a roadmap, something. These guys had nothing, at least in the very beginning, which was the most important part. Like your first week of sales is that—that's your first week after the game comes out. That's where a majority of your sales come out. You can't rely on these mega patches to have people be reinterested in your game all of a sudden. And I know that we were talking about speaking with your wallet before back when we were mentioning Call of Duty but I think this is one of the instances where talking with your wallet actually helps because I don't want personally like I don't want developers pitching me ideas I want developers pitching me full products if I buy Assassin's Creed I don't want oh well here's a story that's all we have. No, I want the full game. I want all the gameplay. I want everything to be there day one and finished. I don't want, well, you know, we had this great idea, but 
we can't implement it until three months from now and we'll have a patch for it. No, I want it then. And I think if the developers and if the company doesn't give that to you, don't buy it. Don't purchase it. There's yeah. no there's no point in fueling the market where companies half ass their games to get it out. It's sad that it's come to that. It really is. Like and if anything, like I said before, it should have been a teaching moment of you know is mostly just a teaching moment for not believing the hype. Wait for reviews, wait for things that happen, don't pre order games. Um, and especially nowadays, the stuff that you get for pre-ordering is not very good. Like, uh, I looked at the pre-order bundle for uh, Monster Hunter World, and they gave you, like, a costume. And I was like, whatever. Like, if, if you're gonna... The whole point of the pre-order was that you made sure your copy was there when you got into GameStop or wherever that day. Because you pre-ordered games that you thought were going to sell out really quickly, and you were rewarded with that. With I I don't know I mean I can't remember any substantial pre-order bonuses off the top of my head but at least when I was a kid I remember that that was like a fun part was like okay I really believe in this game I'm gonna pre-order it I'm gonna get something from it and nowadays I can't I'm scared I'm afraid to pre-order things and I have to wait like a week or two after the game comes out and I don't want to do that I want to buy the game when it comes out I like that midnight release I like waiting in line and you know, wasting time outside talking with people about the game that we're all going to buy. But that's not fun if I have to wait three weeks after just to make sure that I'm getting my money's worth. I don't get that same feeling, and it's it's just it's very sad. Especially oh. when the pre-order bonus is something that's already in the game. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, or you just, yeah, and <laughs> like the whole, um, if you pre-ordered Fighter Z, didn't you get like Goku, like Blue Goku and Vegeta? Yeah, you got. Early access to Goku Blue and Goku uh, Vegeta Blue. Yeah, like which made no sense to if me. If that, that's already in the game, then what's the point? Like, if at that point, it's just pay to win. Also, ah, oh, jeez, I think I just lost it. Um. Uh. Oh yeah. Also, nowadays you don't even have to pre-order. Like. Yeah. You you, you can don't. literally just just <laughs> download it the day it comes out right at your house or you know buy it right off of amazon and have a digital code sent to your email you don't have to worry about limited copies unless like you're super diehard in physical copies and you could still get a physical copy from amazon so it's it's like nowadays you can literally do everything right from your house and you don't have to worry about pre-orders so, why companies even try with the pre-orders, I don't understand. Because they aren't making it worth anyone's time. No, they're really not. <laughs> in, in a lot of the cases that we talked about, it's just it's not worth it. Like, I get a costume, a monitor, whatever. I'm gonna be grinding hours to get a certain kind of armor anyway, so that armor that they're giving me is completely irrelevant. Yeah, I stopped pre-ordering. <laughs> I just get it day one now. I need to start doing that. <laughs> I mean, unless you're going to get like a limited edition, 
I yeah. understand the pre-order because sometimes those things do sell out. Um, I'm glad I pre-ordered yeah. my Persona 5 limited edition because that thing sold out days after it was released. But as far as pre-ordering just regular copies, I don't I don't see the point anymore. Because like Haley said, you could just you know unless you're like super super need a physical copy, it's on the store, you know, it's on Steam, it's on the PlayStation Store, it's on the um, Nintendo Shop, it's on, you know, Microsoft Store. Ah, uh, jeez. Maybe that's, we need to save that topic for another day. <laughs> another podcast. Are pre-orders actually <laughs> worth it? Okay, guys. So, we're going to wrap it up here, because I think we're all sleepy, sleepy little journalists. <laughs> so, um, let's, uh, let's go back to shamelessly plugging things. So, um, Brennan, start us off with a shameless plug. Uh, you can follow me on most social media where my name is at Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-Y-A-N, but I don't really post a whole bunch, so won't really help you in the long run unless you like looking at pictures of my dog and occasional video game rants and or other shameless plugs mike hit us with a plug yeah you could follow me on twitter um at zolo 567 um you know i tweet mostly you know game news and stuff that's going on and a few other personal things so you know check that out hopefully you'll you know, see something you like. And my shameless plug. Um, if you feel like following me and looking at all my selfies and whatever K-pop stuff I'm ranting about, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Haley Hazard. H-A-L-E-Y-H-A-Z-A-R-D-D. Um, and yeah. So great podcast team i hope everyone maybe maybe they're going to check out the games that we mentioned maybe not maybe they're going to speak with their wallet maybe they won't but uh it was uh it was great talking about some some overhyped games that crashed but did not burn so with that being said uh join us for our next game luster podcast and i hope everyone is having a nice day a nice night get some sleep go to work do your thing and yeah come back soon bye